Pearson, the world's education company, and their renowned authors are bringing engaging and informative sessions to educators on the topics of politics, government, and the 2020 presidential election in a new webinar series. Save your seat by registering at go.pearson.com slash election series. Welcome to The Key with IHE. I'm Paul Fain, the host and a contributing editor with Inside Higher Ed. Students are transferring less often this fall. The National Student Clearinghouse Research Center this week said overall transfer enrollments were down 4.7%, with double-digit declines in reverse transfer and summer swirl. While the predicted influx of four-year college students transferring to more affordable community colleges near home did not happen. To get some reaction to these numbers, I spoke with Iris Palmer, a senior advisor for higher education and workforce with the Education Policy Program at New America. Palmer talked about current state policies to help more students transfer seamlessly, as well as which state incentives she'd like to see used more broadly. It just seems to me that states can do a much better job creating a structure that actually rewards colleges for treating transfer students well and for honoring their credits and their experience. Um, and that is not necessarily the case right now. There's lots of policies around these transfer credits. There's lots of frustration in state legislatures for four-year colleges not honoring credits, but there isn't a lot of additional financial incentives beyond just enrollment uh, incentives for these colleges. I also spoke with Allison Cadlick, a founding partner at SOVA, which works on improving transfer pathways and student success. Cadlick gave me the lay of the land on how transfer students have been treated in recent years and how the current enrollment crunch could change that dynamic. It's excellent that four-year institutions in recent years, and this was before COVID, uh, looking down the barrel of enrollment declines, were beginning to think more seriously about transfer students as a lifeline. Uh, for them. And now, uh, with the pandemic, it is uh, truly pressing. All right, let's get to the conversation. Iris Palmer, good to see you. How are you? We're hanging in there, Paul. Thanks for inviting me. So uh, this week, we're going to see some new figures from the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center on transfer. Anything about the findings that jumped out at you? Absolutely. I think that there was a sense um, that there would be a lot of chaos in the transfer world, that there would be a lot more um, lateral transfer between four years and between two years, and a lot more maybe reverse transfer with students going from public four years to public two years in, a in a, um, an attempt to get a cheaper education since everyone is online or a lot of people are online. Um, but that's not at all what we saw in the numbers. In fact, we saw a decrease in those types of transfers and an actual increase in um, students going from two years to four year uh, schools. And that's really interesting. I haven't had a, a chance to really think about why that's happening, but it actually does play in a lot to some of the state transfer conversations, which are all designed for that kind, with that kind of transfer in mind, even though we know those first two types of transfer happen a lot. So it's really exciting actually to see that students are continuing on their educational journeys, even in this incredibly trying times. We know most community college students plan to transfer to four-year colleges, and unfortunately not enough of them do. It's, it's a good sign, I think. We don't have a lot of those these days, so. Um... Exactly, let's, let's celebrate it. It's small, <laughs> but, but something to celebrate. So pre-pandemic, do you mind laying out the state of state policies to support transfer. Uh, you know, we, we've obviously written a lot about California and New York, but you know, what are states doing and what was working well before all this went down or, or not so well? 
Yeah, well, <laughs> that is always the question, right? Even in states where there's really, really, really good and solid state policy, what we would think of makes, as making the most sense around state policy, do we really see the impacts on student success and student transfer success in those states? That's an open question and one that actually needs a lot more research. But that being said, I think that there's sort of a set of policies at the state level that we consider good policy around transfer. Uh, the first one is common course numbering. So that's just having a uniform numbering convention for all classes that are similar or the same or have the same learning outcomes across the two-year and four-year system. It just makes everything much easier so they don't have to go through the syllabus and try to figure out is this class equivalent to that class because that's already been done through the systems of the um, state. Um, the transfer, uh, transferable lower division courses. So this is sort of setting out a set of um, general education requirements that hopefully are the same across all institutions. Now lots of states have this, but they also allow other general education requirements to be placed on top of it. I'm thinking about you, Texas. I um, mean, that can actually cause a lot of problems around this particular piece. And so the sort of the best policy would be to have a set of general education courses that once you take them, you do not need to take any more general education courses across this. And then we have sort of the guaranteed transfer associates degree. And this is what they've been putting together in California between the CSUs and the, and the, and the community colleges. What's tricky about this is that you really do need to have transfer degrees that are aligned with majors. So they have to have major pathways in them because 60 credits is a lot of credits. Like it's half a bachelor's degree. And so we really need to have the prerequisites lined up to take a certain major if you don't want to end up with lots of excess credits. So what's tricky about this is to make the transfer associates degree align enough with the major uh, can be really tricky. It's something they've been working on really hard in California and I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. And the last one is reverse transfer. And this is instead of using the term reverse transfer to mean people going from four-year college back to two-year college, this is actually taking the credit from the four-year college and then sending it back to the community college to be able to get your associate's degree before you transfer. One of the things we saw in the clearinghouse data is that many people have transferred without their, more people have transferred without their associate's degree um, in this last few months, which is really interesting. But I think that there's a lot of evidence, well, there's some evidence to show that if you have your associate's degree, it can be a good thing if you take longer, for instance, to finish your bachelor's degree. But that's sort of the state of really well-designed transfer policy. Um, and so states like Florida and Washington and some others have had these policies on the books for a long time and have seen some success. And I know uh, for folks who don't work on this, that the, the work to line up those pathways is, is quite labor intensive and takes a long time. So, you know, given all the swirl in the system, the, the enrollment demands that most institutions are facing, does this create some opportunities to make some progress a little faster than we've seen in the past and making sure that transfer students credits, up, you know, transfer and apply to a, to a program? The Clearinghouse's report indicates this, that there is going to be a lot more transfer as students are coming to terms with what their current college experience is going to be during COVID and probably for the entire academic year, I think we can say at this point. And so as students are exploring what they want to do with their college careers, I do think we're seeing an increase, well we are clearly, <laughs> the indications are that we're seeing increased transfer. And I think there are institutions that are 
that are looking at that and looking at it as an opportunity for recruitment and for generating enrollment. One interesting way to look at this, though, is actually private colleges that are tuition dependent. There is a sense, um, and John Marcus wrote a really great piece about this a couple weeks ago, where they're, um, they are giving, they're guaranteeing certain credits for students who transfer into their institution as a means of generating enrollment. I think the more you see enrollment pressures on public four years, probably the more generous they're going to be around aligning and granting credits towards majors in particular. So yes, I do think that's an increasing pressure. So far, I would say the four-year publics have been doing all right on enrollment, and so maybe they're not facing the kind of pressure that our private tuition-dependent four-years are. So obviously, in terms of recruiting, there's been some changes in the last year or so uh, with the, the NACAC DOJ uh, deal to, to allow some, some more aggressive recruiting. Can, can you talk about how that may play out and, and whether there are areas to be concerned about? So we've done quite a bit of work uh, recently on enrollment management, actually strategic enrollment management. And one of the things we've been hearing from the field is that the NACAC changes do throw into um, stark relief and will change the behavior of students and institutions around recruiting currently enrolled students. And I think what it does is really combined with the enrollment pressures and the financial pressures from COVID, um, I think that it could add a lot of uncertainty as colleges start to recruit transfer students more aggressively. And this it could actually work better for students, which I think is what the DOJ was thinking. <laughs> um, because if you have colleges recruiting transfer students aggressively and packaging their, their credit so it actually counts towards their degree and speeds their time to degree, that could actually be really good for students. But for colleges, it's scary, I think, I mean, we were talking to enrollment managers in the spring who were saying that their models are like give or take 15 points. They have no idea what's going to happen. And I think that continues to be an issue. So um, I think it just adds to the uncertainty. As you were talking, I was thinking about the Arizona State enrollment numbers being way up and, you know, a 51% increase in, in first time, full time. And I was wondering if students go to online programs and then when and if things return to normal, go back to a more traditional ground-based program, will that create additional wrinkles or will that maybe even help in some ways in terms of institutions' ability to accept credits from some of those large online national players? It's a really good question. And I think it just depends on the incentives, right? Um, I do, we, I mean, we don't know, we don't have data to say whether or not students are planning to go to these online providers for one year or two years. We also had some conversations with other large online players in the nonprofit space, and they also have their enrollments way up. And it just depends on if students do plan to go back to on the ground in-person education. I think that depending on how much these colleges need enrollment, they will hopefully be more accommodating around accepting those credits. So if we, st if we start to see enrollment pressures at the public four years, and even more at some of the prestigious, maybe less tuition-dependent private four years, we could see, and this is totally speculative on my part, but we could see an increased pressure for them to honor those credits for, for college students. And I hope that that absolutely happens. I think that could be an okay thing that comes out of this 
really terrible pandemic. Thanks for indulging that. Uh, I feel like I'm doing more, asking folks to speculate more these days, but that's the, the time we live in. So, so, you know, as the last question, what are some of the state incentives that you'd most like to see come online at scale in, in the coming months and years? And I'm obviously thinking of financial incentives as well. Yeah, so I think that's exactly the right question to be asking because right now I'm like, well, if they're really, really hurting for enrollment, maybe they'll be better about transfer policy. But what I would like to see are more states create thoughtful financial incentives for colleges to serve transfer students. So some kind of bonus structure for when public colleges get students who transfer to their campuses to graduate as quickly as possible. So creating some kind of incentive to honor their credits towards a degree. I would also say that um, states like Virginia that have their transfer scholarship program, I would love to see more of those. It just seems to me that states can do a much better job creating a structure that actually rewards colleges for treating transfer students well and for honoring their credits and their experience. Um, and that is not necessarily the case right now. There's lots of policies around these transfer credits. There's lots of frustration at state legislatures for, for your colleges not honoring credits, but there isn't a lot of additional financial incentives beyond just enrollment uh, incentives for these colleges. So I do think creating more of those going on in the future would be a really positive thing coming out of this. Well, Iris, this has been super helpful. I appreciate you indulging uh, such broad questions on enormously complex topics and uh, for, for giving us a little bit to think about on that new clearinghouse data, which I know you had very little time to think about. Um, really important topic and, and one we're going to be doing more on in the next year or so, for sure. Wonderful. Thank you, Paul. I'm glad. If you're looking to go even more in-depth in IHE's news coverage, check out our special reports. These deep dives feature rich data and reporting, as well as thoughtful, substantive analysis you can trust. Visit insidehighered.com backslash special reports to view the topics we've covered and to purchase the report that best supports your area of work or study. Speaking with Allison Cadleck. Allison, good to see you. Nice to see you, Paul. Thanks for having me. So you've been working on transfer, and as we all know, uh, there are some pretty deep enrollment concerns across all of higher education, but four-year institutions increasingly see transfer students as important to their enrollment and their bottom line. Has that changed the dynamic out there? I think absolutely, and I'm hoping that it will change it even more. So as you say, in the pandemic, we're seeing more and more four-year institutions viewing transfer students as a vital source of enrollment. And this is leading to conversations about how well these institutions are actually serving transfer students. And when you start to peel that onion, you see a lot of things. So I think even just a few years ago, it was commonplace when we were working with four-year institutions to ask faculty, staff, administrators to tell us what percentage of their students were transfer students, and they would guess, uh, you know, 10, 15%, and they were often off by uh, a lot. Uh, and so uh, there was a time when it was commonplace that four-year institutions didn't even know how many of their students were transfer students, and I think those days are now behind us, and that's good, because once oh, wait, you know- I gotta ask, how is yeah. that possible? Like, I mean, that they were that much of an afterthought. That does surprise me. Yeah, I think it is less surprising when you think about the 
uh, sort of traditional structures and the long-standing nature of those traditional structures for four-year institutions and two-year institutions viewed as very different discrete entities that had self-contained degrees in which students would you know appear and stay in some hermetically sealed universe at that institution i think it wasn't the case it hasn't been the case for many years that students behaved in that way or or you know attended higher education institutions in that way but i think institutions have historically viewed their students as predominantly native freshmen uh, particularly four-year institutions so yeah it is surprising it was surprising to us as well. But I think if not as surprising when you think that really the movement for community colleges and access-oriented four-year institutions to even look at their own data about what is happening to what students finally disaggregated by race, income, you know, that that is, that, that movement is not that, is not that old either, actually. You know, we're looking at maybe 20 years. So right now, obviously, so much is on the table, but you've got institutions increasingly caring about transfer students for reasons of their own self-interest, but also, I assume, uh, more awareness of the need to do better by transfer students. I mean, what is this doing right now to how four-year institutions view them? And what are you seeing, you know, in, in terms of positive change? Yeah, I think one of the things that we're seeing is increased attention to building transfer receptive cultures. And so, You've got, there's a lot of great research out of UCLA, um, great book on power to the transfer, you know, looking at actually the culture around transfer students. So we're talking about not only creating curricular coherence, and I do think that things like the guided pathways movement that has picked up steam uh, over the last uh, 10 years is really, you know, enormously relevant to how institutions are thinking about transfer students. The increased push to think about not only curricular coherence, but how students are supported uh, across their educational experience, right? So, you know, we tend to think about transfer as a matter of degree programs, but when you begin to look at transfer and peel that onion about how transfer students are actually experiencing uh, higher education institutions, we see that there is, you know, there are serious issues with advising. There are tremendous challenges facing students with respect to finances. I think this is, you know, you said it was surprising that institutions might not know what percentage of their students are transfer students, you know, faculty, staff, and others. It's also the case that there has been, and I think it's part of the bias against transfer students, there's been a longstanding assumption uh, that transfer students, you know, who stop out, stop out because, you know, you know, they couldn't cut it or they, you know, their life happened. But increasingly institutions are looking at the percentage of their students that are stopping out in good standing for financial reasons purely. And I think that is opening a lot of eyes uh, for institutions about what actually is derailing transfer students. And we know that an overwhelming majority of students who begin at community colleges intend to earn at least a bachelor's degree and so it's, you know, it's excellent that four-year institutions in recent years, and this was before COVID, uh, looking down the barrel of enrollment declines, we're beginning to think more seriously about transfer students as a lifeline uh, for them. And now uh, with the pandemic, it is uh, truly pressing for four-year institutions. I assume that 
we haven't made too much progress. I, I, and I don't know the answer here on the amount of credits and money and time transfer students lose when they enroll at a four year institution. Yeah, that's right. And I, but we, what we are making progress on is being very clear about when we talk about transfer, we are not talking about uh, the sort of credits transferring. We're talking about credits applying toward a degree. And so for many years, uh, it was really easy and, you know, we've I've conducted, you know, dozens and dozens of focus groups of transfer students in which the same story over and over again, I was told my credits would transfer, I was told my credits would transfer. And when I got here, yeah, they did transfer, but they transferred as electives. They didn't apply toward my uh, degree. And there's been a tremendous amount of harm inflicted on students in the absence of clarity about the difference between the application of credits toward a program and simply credits transferring toward electives. So, so yeah, there's still, uh, there's a ton of work to be done, uh, but at least I think we're significant, you know, we've made some significant progress uh, on the conversation so that increasingly when people use the word transfer, which is actually starting to sound a little bit um, arcane or out of date for some, you know, for some folks, because it's not, you know, it sort of signals something very discreet and clear when in fact, you know, students, we work with a number of four-year institutions that incoming transfer students have three, four, five, sometimes upwards of six transcripts from other institutions. And so this idea of sort of discrete transfer, two plus two, that kind of thing, I think uh, reality is showing that that's not how students are moving between institutions. You know, I haven't heard the term student swirl in a while. Uh, do, do you have any, is anyone thinking about other terms for transfer students? That's a really good question. And, you know, there are folks like John Fink at the Community College Research Center and others who are actually studying very closely what's happening to transfer students, um, you know, student mobility patterns. Like we are hearing more and more folks shy, sort of shying away from the word transfer or finding it an unsatisfying term, which I think is a really good sign. And so we're hearing more folks like uh, recently heard the Dana Center talk about student transitions. We're hearing more about portability. Um, some of the terms, you know, that are more common that you hear from the realm of competency-based education are starting to show up in transfer, and that's, that's probably high time. Even I have heard portability a lot lately, so that's a, that's a good sign. So yeah. would you mind talking a little bit about SOVA and, you know, some of the work that you're doing in this space, but also, you know, the projects and the work that you're seeing uh, that, that's just worth our listeners paying attention to? Sure. So the work that we focus on at SOVA is squarely uh, in the middle of the places where change falls apart in practice. So we focus on implementation of uh, good ideas. We're very interested in why it is that really good evidence-based ideas fail to become real sustainable solutions for students. And so so when it comes to transfer, um, we're active in things like DevEd reform. We actually are keen on helping people understand the connections between developmental education reform and transfer student success, really understanding the full student's educational journey. But when it comes to transfer, uh, we're involved in uh, work in several states as part of an initiative, a collaboration called Tackling Transfer. Uh, with two other partners, so HCM Strategists, um, great organization focused on uh, state and federal policy work, and the Aspen uh, College Excellence Program that does a strong work on leadership and leadership development for higher education reform, student success. And so we come at this, the three organizations, uh, with the perspective that 
significant uh, dramatic improvements for transfer students is necessary if this country is going to have a middle class in the future. And to tackle that, you really need to take on policy, practice, leadership, communications, all of these things simultaneously. And so the piece of this where SOVA is most focused is actually on supporting improved practice, sort of an institutional collaboration and practice in service of creating transfer receptive cultures and improving the ability of faculty, staff, and administrators at multiple levels to build the relationships required to break down those artificial barriers to transfer student success. You know, looking at the field now, are there institutions that are doing this really well? Or, you know, are, are, are there uh, points where you see progress that has been substantial and we don't have a lot to, a lot to go to, to really do better by transfer students? Or are, are we still at a pretty early stage in this process? Hmm. It's a good question. There are a lot of institutions that are working hard and taking the uh, success of their transfer students very seriously. There are a lot of uh, access-oriented four-year institutions that have an overwhelming percentage of their students are transfer students, and so they need to be thinking about and working on this. Uh, but I would say that actually even the most excellent, sophisticated partnerships that you might hear about, nobody's nailing it. Nobody's hitting it out of the park. Uh, because the work is so complicated and the barriers are so deeply entrenched and woven into the fabric of traditional higher education uh, and the way that institutions function. So I'd say there's a lot more work to be done uh, than there is uh, successes to celebrate. But that is not to say that there isn't great work happening. There is. There's great work happening all over the country. So what are some of the levers the system needs to push to start getting there in the next year or so? Yeah, so I think uh, the efforts that are underway to create truly robust uh, dual enrollment programs or joint enrollment co-admission programs, not ones that are thin and on paper, but ones that are deep and true and robust that uh, combine curricular coherence for students so that they can see where they're going as they begin at a community college, they can see the bachelor's degree and begin with that end in mind where you have strong, deep connections between advisors, between your admissions folks, between your deans and directors of your programs where transfer is prioritized in conversations at every level about everything having to do with students. So, uh, so weaving attention to transfer students who have been for too long invisible to many institutions into the center of conversations about long-term student success and the financial viability of institutions is what needs to continue to happen now by virtue of the pandemic and whatever comes after. Well, I know we've barely scratched the surface, but we'll leave it there. Um, and so listeners know, um, this I believe is the latest hour that I have recorded an interview <laughs> for The Key. So it's really The Key After Dark. Um, and both Allison and I are dealing with some uh, some colds, uh, hopefully not COVID. Um, my test is still out. So our dulcet tones are obstructed. Indeed. So I, I doubly, even triply thank you uh, for making time to speak with me and our listeners. And I always appreciate your perspectives. It always teaches me a lot. I really appreciate uh, being here, even at this late hour and with our the frogs in our throats. I appreciate the chance to be here and I so appreciate uh, the work that you do at Inside Higher Ed. I think we need, we desperately need 
uh, more support to have thoughtful, important conversations about higher ed reform. You guys do a great job. So thank you. Thanks, Allison. Looking forward to seeing you in person someday. <laughs> you too. Educators around the world rely on the trusted content and digital learning resources from Pearson to improve outcomes in face-to-face -face or hybrid learning environments. Visit Pearson for all your online teaching resources at go.pearson.com slash teaching online. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks as always for listening. I'll be back next week to revisit the issue of student anxiety and what sort of supports universities and colleges can use to help support them better online. I hope you join me. Thanks.